Welcome to Give and Take. It's the podcast where yours truly, Scott Jones, talks with artists, authors, theologians, political pundits, media people, and assorted others about the lens through which they experience life. My guest is Jamie Wright. Jamie is a writer and speaker, best known for her snarky faith and lifestyle blog, Jamie, the Very Worst Missionary. As an advocate for missions reform and humanitarian aid, she has spoken at churches, nonprofits, and universities around the world. She procrastinates in Northern California, where she lives with her family, two dogs, and an evil cat. It's where she wrote her most recent book, The Very Worst Missionary, a memoir or whatever. It's a great book, and we had a great conversation about it. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I give you Jamie Wright. Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So you say you blog at theveryworstmissionary.com, right? And your memoir is entitled The Very Worst Missionary. Are you counting yourself with like genocidal people that came with the conquistadors and stuff like that? <laughs> or, 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 you know, like <laughs> forced conversions? Are you like, is this like relative to late modern mm, evangelical yeah. kind of culture? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'd say probably there are some crusaders who were worse than me. <laughs> Maybe. But, um, yeah, it's sort of tongue in cheek. I mean, it was just the the very worst missionary sort of came out of my own feelings of um, like self-loathing and just being like, oh, my God, I suck at this. And also this um, sense that as I sort of explored ideas about how missions isn't all it's cracked up to be and sort of made those those thoughts public, people were like some people were like, oh, my God, you're the worst. Like, how dare you? So it was just it's sort of this funny little like. Am I the worst missionary because I say that missions is bad, or am I the worst missionary because I actually sometimes like really suck as a person? <laughs> you know, like it's it was just it's kind of both. It's a two two angle thing. So I okay, I like your writing style a lot, and one of my favorite sentences you wrote is early in the book. You're talking about sort of uh, just your early experiences in Costa Rica, and you say I curled up in a ball and sucked my thumb while Steve, your husband, took to life in Costa Rica like a hot chick to Coachella. <laughs> I just thought, you know, I know exactly what you mean. I, from what I hear, I've never been, I'm mm-hmm. not cool enough to go to Coachella, but that's basically. Yeah. Yeah. You know. you know, that girl that's like, hey, I'm here and just rocks it. And everybody's like, oh, she's having fun. That was the difference in our experience. I was just like a mess and had to work so hard just to get myself out the door. And and he just, yeah, he just was a real natural. <laughs> would you, if you had the money, would you go to Coachella? No. I th- I don't know if I, I don't think so. Really? It, yeah, like, like all the like somebody I don't know. You, good music, Annoying interesting people. people, interesting people watching. I mean, f- people watching that would be like the only reason, and it wouldn't come from like a really good place. Like I would literally go to mock people and make fun of them. So I feel like maybe that's not the be- that would not be the best, most productive use of my time and energy. You know. <laughs> So I don't do you, think I'd go. Do you think if you met the right celebrity though, you'd just be like, okay, I'm pretending I'm having a good time because you're one mm-hmm. of my favorites. Although don't you care. did you do mention on a road trip that you stumbled into the middle of a film set and you met Scarlett Johansson, who was yeah, not met, really very charming. Yeah, well, met met is probably a strong word. We like literally ran into her, like in a group of people. Like we ran into her um almost physically. <laughs> and we were just my little my kids were with me. We we're just swampy, sweaty people in the south, and she there on the film set. And this was like before she was famous. This was a long time ago, so we didn't even know who she was. But um, she knew who she was, so she was not. She was like, "Get these people out of my space." She knew she wasn't she impolite. Was. She just looked at us like, "What the hell?" So and you actually grew up Jewish, and th- this is fascinating to me because your parents were Protestant. Christians. I mean, were they pretty devout? Were they? Were they? They were. Ra- they were sort of mainline, kind of not regular church attenders, just, sort of. Yeah, I think I honestly, I'd, I'd have to ask them. I mean, I'd have to get more details, but I, I suspect that my mom was just more of like a Sunday or like a Christmas and Easter. Maybe both of them. Like their families were probably more just Christmas and Easter Christians. You know, like not weekly attenders, but they were just raised. You know, not super faithful, but just that that was their history. And then as young adults, after they got married and cracked out a couple of kids, they went Jewish. So. <laughs> they just went Jewish. And where was yeah. this? Where was home growing up? Um, California, Northern California. Okay, so where you live now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, yeah. so you're back. It's close. So that's interesting because Judaism is sort of, it's a non-missionary religion. So generally, people don't convert, generally people convert into missionary religions like Christianity or Islam or Buddhism mm-hmm. or Mormonism. So like, usually you don't leave. 
mm-hmm. a missionary a religion that's seeking adherence and converts mm-hmm. to go to Judaism. So that that's a fascinating. That, yeah, it move. is. It is fascinating. But I don't know that they made a decision to leave any religion. Like, I don't think they were like, we're going to stop being Christians. I don't think they were being anything. You know, they were just like, we're raising kids now. What, you know, I don't know. I, and I can't really speak for them. I don't really. We're raising really kids now. The Jewish people in the neighborhood seem to have great kids. And a lot of money. And a lot of money. Maybe this is <laughs> so, the place. Maybe this is the way to could go. Be good for, yeah, it could be good for business. You know, I think there was a lot of probably layers to that choice for them. But, um, you know, whatever. For me, it, it ended up I had a really, I think, um, great introduction to God because of Judaism. And um, it has helped me, I think, in a lot of ways, maintain my fondness for faithfulness and for for God, even with all my like disgruntled feelings about religion and um and missions and all that stuff. So Yeah, and then you you as a teenager wound up I mean, you talk about the importance of good investments, right? You buy this leather jacket that seems to have gotten mm-hmm. you through a lot of mm-hmm. teenage ribaldry and interesting mm-hmm. things. And you wound up now this is fascinating. I, I have you have a chapter about butt hair shavings and milkshakes and that somebody mm-hmm. basically as a prank got hairs from his posterior and while you were like in the bathroom or something yeah put the shit now did he shave like now i'm trying to think of this, no, like was this pre-shaved yanked. before and he had it like he had them in a bag in his pocket no, no, no. like he literally reached into his pants and ripped a ripped a patch of ass hair that out, sounds so painful cheek. like that well he did it i mean i don't yeah i guess it was worth it to him and then they put it in my milkshake <laughs> and then I came back from the bathroom in some like, you know, diner at whatever, 1am with all my little punk ass teenage friends. And they all had that look on their face like, oh, we did something. And I just was like, fuck you guys. And I just picked up that milkshake because I thought they put like, I thought they put like Tabasco in it. <laughs> and I drank deep. I mean, I went, I went for it. <laughs> so you ingested his own, his oh, bodily Oh, for head. sure. Pro- yeah. I mean- he Pretty suffered sure for that prank. I mean that. I mean that. Is, he will. He's going to burn in hell. But I mean, he I, suffered there. It's like you know, like the the soup Nazi and Seinfeld. Like he suffers for his soup. He suffered for that prank. I mean, because he did. That's painful. Yeah, yeah. And maybe if it hadn't been so emotionally painful for me afterwards, when I was like, oh, I eat your butt hair, um, I, I might have respect. For I don't him mean for to be. I don't mean to be. But I don't mean to be dismissive of, of your pain, of course. <laughs> no, 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 of course, just, of course. I just marvelled. You no. Know, I'm imagining he's a very hairy guy. He must have been. Yeah. I mean, this was years and years ago and um, he was a young man. So he must have been, uh, yeah, just naturally on the hairy side. Because not, not to be crass, but that, you know, that for that's wouldn't be possible for every right. person. Not to, every to dude has. Just, yeah. Carpet. Exactly. Like, carpeted. A, a, yeah. A carpet ass. But he did. And he apparently really wanted to share that with me. <laughs> and that led to your... You connecting with the man you would marry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was so mad at this guy who had done this to me. I was just like, well, screw you. I'm not going home. Like, he was supposed to be my ride home. And I was like, I'm not even getting in the car with you. I was like punishing him. And so I just went and just hopped in the car with some other dude and was like, could you give me a ride home? And I, yeah, I ended up marrying that other guy. Like, who could have, who would have known? I was, I was 16, barely 16 at the time. And um, nine months later, I was pregnant <laughs> and a year and a half later i was married yeah you say that basically you guys you and your husband to be had in common a passion for car sex and the cure <laughs> the Cure, great i mean great band well you know what i mean it was just we were teenagers and yeah we just did the dumb shit the teenagers do we'd play the cure I, my he the first time he told me he loved me it was like friday it's friday i'm in love with playing and you know it's just very like you know, 80s, whatever, late 80s teenage love. It was so stupid. That sounds like such a fantastic John Hughes like scene. It, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Could have been. <laughs> what kind, you know, so I'm assuming it's his car that you're yeah. copying. I mean, not all cars are the same for copulating purposes. Was it a comfort, was it the size of the car? I mean, it helps well, to have a bigger car. No. And, and bench seats are the best, I would guess. Right. No, this was like a little tiny sedan and he was a, college football player so he's like six foot six 280 like he's big i mean he's probably lighter than that than that at that time but um big big but you know kids kids 
they figure things out. That seems, sounds so uncomfortable. <laughs> it was stupid. It sounds uncomfortable. Well, it, I mean, it's natural drive, but it just seems uncomfortable. I mean, that's, you know, yeah, but what are you going to do? You know, teenagers, like, I don't think they, I don't think we really knew. We just, I don't think we cared. It was just like, whatever, this is what we're doing. So. And you guys get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. it's funny, you, <laughs> it's great because you you talk about your trip to the OBGYN and you sort of like, all right, I try to spruce everything up. I I, I figure this will go okay. And every, you, know, you, really, know? you know, so you, you go and you, you find out that you're indeed pregnant. And I was shocked because like you, your, your husband to be Steve is, is like an hour and a half away or something at college at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And you call him and like, I think I, I'm thinking most guys are like, what the hell? Are you sure? Are you sure it's I what you know, like but he's like, I'm gonna be a dad. <laughs> well, I mean, we there was what, that phone call was to tell him that we were having a baby boy. So he already knew. He, oh, okay, he knew okay. yeah. So yeah, so we'd kind of gone through that process of like, holy shit, what do we do? Like, do we have a baby? Do we give a baby up for adoption? Do we abort a baby? Like, what do we do with this situation? Um, so we, we definitely kind of walked through that. And then, you know, just once we decided like, okay, we're having a baby and we're getting married. Um, it was, it was okay. Well, let's just move forward and be happy. And you too, neither it. of you is like particularly religious at, at the time. Mm-hmm. No, not he, at all. he had a sort of painful church experience growing up where there was mm-hmm. some pastoral misconduct and stuff. And, and you're just kind of, you know, in the, uh, in the world of sort of mm-hmm. weird transitional Judaism yeah. and, you know, yeah. and was, so why not abort the child? I mean, what did you guys think about? Like, was that a live option? Um, you know, it, re- it wasn't really for me. That's just not. So- I mean, I've never, just on a personal level, that's not something that I could do or would do. Um, and so, it, yeah, it just wasn't really on the table as far as I was concerned. And, and honestly, that was just it's my my personal bent. It had nothing to do with religion or um, faith or God or anything. It just was, you know we, I did this thing and I could have prevented it had I not wanted it to happen or, you know, like not that I wanted to get pregnant, but, um, I just felt like, well, I created a life. I guess I'm going to bring a life into the world. And so you guys get married. Mm-hmm. Are you still, do you still know the guy who did the, the hairs and the milkshake at this point? Mm-hmm. Did he come to the wedding? Was he invited? Um, no, I don't think we were like, we actually weren't, we didn't stay friends. Um, like we didn't stay close, but we sort of stayed acquainted over the years. And then in recent years, um, we've sort of reconnected. So I think, you know, had we stayed closer, he, he would have certainly been invited. There were no hard feelings. It was just that one moment of like, well, screw you. And then it just led to me falling into a relationship with someone else. So, so you did know. you have like when he, like when he's around, do you ever like look at your children? It's like this, the hair from this man's posterior is the reason you right? were born. Like you, know? you did this. Yeah, this is <laughs> you like, bastard. Or, or, or they like, think, look, you. <laughs> I mean, your, or, you yeah. owe your existence to this man and his posterior hair. <laughs> yeah. Had this well, man had had a lesser man with a less you know, hairy posterior, and maybe you guys are not born. I know. Maybe I should. I'll send him a thank you note. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know why I'm. Fa- I mean, it's a well cha- titled chapter, and it's just I it, it kept looming, you know, in my head as I'm reading. It. I keep going back to this. Wow, this is such an interesting turn of it. So you, you guys actually, so you, you know, one of the things I like about your book is that I think it for young married like people, men and women, I think the way you talk about the realities of early marriage that like gosh. The first time we get in our big divorce fight was, you know, like on our near mm-hmm. our first anniversary and having this fight. I love what you say to you. I, this great line of the book. You're like, we did okay at parties because we liked the same food and hated the same people. Mm-hmm. So we could eat and, you know, we can kind of mock people with our eyes. We know mm-hmm. who's annoying. But you, you, you talk about like the dysfunction and toxicity, you know, your two kids getting married, you know, like your kids trying to parent a kid. And yet you're, you're in love. I mean, it's not, it's not as though you're not really in love. I mean, there, there's some dysfunction around it. There's some struggle that, you know, you, you get in a little of your head, uh, but you're not, you, 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 it, it's not sort of these extremes of, oh my God, it's, it's a romantic fairy tale, nor that toxicity means there's nothing good. I mean, you're really, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time, sinner and saint, it's, you know, there's some great things yeah. early on and yeah. there's some things that really are sore spots and tough things that mm-hmm. you're, you guys are working through. Yeah. And we were, we were so young. I mean, we just had no idea what we were getting ourselves into, but realistically, like, isn't everything like that? Aren't we all just sort of like half screwed up in every 
in every element of our lives where we're just kind of bringing our own messes to what we're doing. And, um, and marriage for us was no different. And the fact that, I mean, I was 18 when we got married, just barely, or I was, I mean, we were just kids. And so, um, I mean, a teenager and I was moving out of my parents' house and I had a baby and I just became a wife. And then I was working full time. And I mean, it was just this, like, I was learning how to be an adult and a mom and a wife and, um, all of these things at once. And so naturally it was incredibly hard and I had no basis for relationships or for parenting. And yeah, so it, it was a mess and we were both just truly messy people going into it. So you mentioned that, that, you know, when you go to this luau party, it's an office party, which, you know, Mm -hmm. you, you had these $80 tickets, you know, we fought, Mm -hmm. but we still have to, you know, I can't like, you know, waste these tickets. Like, mm-hmm. what were you doing? I, I'm under, first of all, like, what kind of office has luau parties? Because I want to work there. And what what are you doing? What kind of, like, I mean, you're young. I mean, what what yeah. job did you land? I worked, um, I got a job in the mailroom at a third-party administrator for, like, a healthcare, like a, like a um, HMO. And then I worked my way up into, claim, like, adjustments and claims and um, just where was an, I worked in office. I just had a, a cubicle and I did basically data entry. Um for a, for a healthcare company. And um, so you're in the felt very grown you're, up about it. You're in the mailroom. You're like, one day that cubicle will be mine. <laughs> yes, exactly. As I'm walking along with my little like squeaky cart, er, 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 <laughs> dropping people's stacks of mail off to them. Um, no, mostly I was like, one day that paycheck will be, will be mine. <laughs> like I just, I needed to make more money. So I just worked my way up as fast as I could. But um, yeah, it was, a, it was a very grown up job for a little girl to have. And yeah, office parties. And this was kind of back in there. There was a, it was a great time economically for California. And um, so, yeah, office parties. And, and it was when um, the the concept of like casual Fridays just became a thing. Like now every day in almost every office is casual, but casual Fridays was a really big deal. So we would like wear our jeans on Fridays and then this big party, they'd have this big party every year. And it was a, this particular year, it was a luau and it was, it was lit. It was crazy. It was a good party. That sounds like, I mean, again, like, you know, it's not that there weren't, struggles you're having but that's i mean that sounds kind of cool you, you know you, you, that, fun. You, yeah. that you, you you know you're at the place that throws the luau parties yeah it was fun and we we did a a hula hoop competition that we won so that was like right and that exciting. saved your marriage yeah. basically the hula hoop saves mm-hmm. your marriage really. right so butt hair milkshake starts my marriage and then a hula hoop saves it so we're just a real high class people here do you ever worry like when you're like empty nesters what kind of bodily fluids or weird activity is going to be the thing that will get you to the next thing no all right let's not think about it i'll worry for you i'll I'll worry for you i'll just take that away yeah and worry it's too scary to think about it's really interesting because you know you talk about your own kind of journey into christian faith as an adult and you say that you're like the perfect demo for like the evangelical kind of larger church I would get, you know, like not, it was it a mega church you got involved in or was it? It was like a little mega church. Little mega, little mega. <laughs> yeah, a little bit mega. <laughs> it's a little mega. What size? You know, it's interesting, like, cause I live in the Northeast and so like a 500 member church here feels big, you know, because you know, mm-hmm. Metro Philadelphia, you know, it's like what's, you know, in the Midwest, a thousand mm-hmm. people is like, you know, you know, I'm sorry, it's not necessarily mm-hmm. huge. So what, what's a good size church in Northern California? Probably 2,500 or something. 2,500. I mean, that's probably good size. I mean, there are definitely bigger churches and smaller churches, but I think that's probably like, I don't know what define, I don't know how they define, I don't know how you define a mega church, but I think that's probably it around here. And the Presbyterian church, uh, you know, the, the mainline Presbyterian church, they have this group called tall steeple pastors. So if your church is over 2,000, you're tall steeple. I'm like, mm. so we're just going to, totally make this phallic like we're just gonna say the tall yeah. st- these are for mm-hmm. the people with the tallest upright steeple right right no no steeple measuring contest here guys <laughs> so you, you say like you're perfect for this demo and you kind of it's interesting how certain kinds of church cultures work for certain kinds of people and you were the kind of per- you're like okay sign me up i got a group of women here that we're all moms we're hanging out like we're mm-hmm. you know we're doing our thing together and and you and that was like not an unhappy time for you. I mean, you you really, it sounded like it was actually for a while, a place of at the time, relative stability and, mm-hmm. and actually you're like, Hey, all mm-hmm. right. This oh, is kind of yeah. nice. Like this is it a nice little you know place. Life giving. Yeah. Life giving for this young mom. I was super young. I had 
three kids by the time I was 24. And I was just this like young mom in the suburbs and still didn't know what I was doing. Still didn't quite figure out life. And so to have this group of women come around me that were also raising kids and um, it, it was really like it saved me. They, they It was an amazing time in my life, even though my faith was like very simple and new and fresh, but um, it, it, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it. Like it was really important time for me. And and it sounds like it was kind of a faith that was caught more than taught. Like, like it it, it Mm -hmm. just being in the vibe of these people that seemed to care for you and a place where you could know and be known a little bit. And Mm -hmm. it's not, it didn't sound like a really ideological faith. No. Yeah, no, I was, I walked into the church needing help and needing love and needing, um, guidance and was immediately surrounded by people who, um, who, who kind of showed me that. And, and so, yeah, it was definitely something I absorbed more than was like, I'm looking for this specific thing. Um, yeah. And then you, and also it's interesting because you, you want your husband to come so bad and he's kind of like, you joke, Oh, he was so thrilled for me. Not like, you're kind of Mm -hmm. like, he was just miserable about this development. Like he did not want, you know, he worked uh, on Sundays and he was like, do not give those people my money. <laughs> that was basically his bent on when I started when I started re- going to church regularly. He was like, it's propaganda. It's bullshit. Don't give them my money. And, you know, he had a negative experience kind of behind him. And so, um, you know, but I was so earnest and I just so genuinely thought, well, he just needs Jesus, you know, and and I don't think I was necessarily wrong, but um, just I just thought that would fix everything. If my if and our marriage was so toxic and and difficult. And so I just thought, God, if if he just came to church, it would be, it would be, it would fix everything. What did you think it would fix? Like, what what did you imagine? He would be like more tender, more emotional, more attentive. And what what was it that you thought church would provide? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just knew that we were broken. I didn't even really know all the, the, all the ways that we were broken. I just knew there's something wrong here. And how do we fix it? And I just thought, I, I kind of believed that evangelical lie that all you need is Jesus and, and Jesus will make your life pretty. Like, I just thought that's all we need. That's all we need. Like our, our marriage is difficult. Our children, like, I don't know how to parent these kids. All I need is Jesus. And if I just keep like doing the things and doing, you know, doing the Bible studies and going to the, the women's events and doing the retreat and doing, getting my quiet time. If I just keep doing these things and then if I get my husband to do these things and if I raise my kids to do these things, then everything will be great. And I really genuinely believed that <laughs> for a long time. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine or while you're exercising or while you're caught? frustrated in traffic do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here if the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes or even just a solid maybe would you do something for me would you consider becoming a patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more it's for a good cause you can help this podcast and one of the many others i do keep going and you can help launch several other podcasts projects i've got in the works so i invite you to be a patron through patreon of this which i think is an art form you're enjoying and you continue to enjoy again any contribution is welcome but for five bucks a month you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call which begins right now thank you david babico ellis brazil david zoll sari graham peter steigerwald samantha blythe David Norling, Charlotte Donlan, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Kress, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Michael Butera, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Andrew Stravitz, and Jennifer Underwood. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. So it seems like, like, the religion you were involved in was sort of, I guess it's for lack of a better term, it was like, it was imperative indicative rather than indicative imperative. Like it was do this and then you'll be okay. Instead, instead of indicative imperative, like you're okay, you're accepted. Mm-hmm. Now you can mm-hmm. live in, in the light of that acceptance. It sounds mm-hmm. like it was sort of like That's, the payoff is at the end after right. you 
right. do the checklist and do some things, you're going to be blessed at the end of the, mm-hmm. you know, there's the pot of spiritual gold at the end of the rainbow. That was certainly my interpretation of what, of what I was participating in. I mean, I don't know that, I don't know, I don't know if it was, in, it was certainly not intentionally taught that way, but that was definitely what I received and what I thought I was supposed to do was check the boxes, right? Follow the rules. And if you follow the rules, then yeah, then you're golden. Then it'll be okay. What's interesting about your writing style is you're honest, but you're also kind with your past self. I mean, you're not, you know, you're not uncritical, but you're also not, how could I have been this? Mm -hmm. You're honest, like, hey, there were some good things here. I probably, Mm -hmm. and then you tell, you tell the story when it comes to head, there's this Bible study, which basically is like, you know, this, you're in this group, which is life giving. And you're like, and then then there's this book you're reading. That's just like, all right. This is the Handmaid's Tale. Here we go. This is what <laughs> totally. it looks like. This is going to save your life. If we go Handmaid's mm-hmm. Tale, everyone's going to feel better. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. And I was just, I, and that was like at this the beginning of this phase of my life or, or this the period where I was really started let my, letting myself explore these questions that I was having about faith and about about the Bible and about this church that I was in and about the things that we were doing and saying and how a lot of it just did not line up. And I was just like, oh, I'm looking at at the person of Jesus that we learn about in the Bible and who he was and what he did and what he said and how he lived and doesn't really look like us. Like it doesn't really look like this group of women that I'm in. It doesn't look at like how we talk about the people around us. It doesn't whatever. And then we get into this book and I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is so like oppressive to women. And it, it was just really vile. Like it was so awful. And you had these young women. We were all so exhausted and so um, needy. Like we just needed to be told what to do. Like somebody just told me what to do and I'll do it. And to, so to get into this book and have this author kind of finger wagging, like, you know, if you suffer from depression, all you need is Jesus. And if your marriage, you know, if your husband cheats on you, then forgive him and lose weight and wrap yourself in plastic wrap and meet up at the door after work. And you know, I mean, just, it was bizarre. And, and you're like, and, how about Jesus in a cocktail and Lexapro? Then I could, then I'm leveled up. Right. Off. <laughs> right. Like, what about that church? Where's that book? No, I, I'm interested. And, like, how many of the people you're you're actually in the Northern California now? Like after mm-hmm. you know you've been back. We'll talk a little bit about your missionary experience in Costa Rica. But how, are you, how many people from that Bible study do you still hang out with? Like have they been on similar journeys, or do you know many of them? Or hey, I still run into them. I mean, I'm not close probably to any of them. I'm close to some of the women still that were in my life at that time that we went to church together and did life. You know, did life together, and um, some of them are still very good friends of mine, but. Um, as have far they as had that, a like, similar the ones who are cl- good friends have they mm-hmm. had a similar journey or are they kind of comfortable with some of the things that you weren't comfortable with um probably both some of them are i think maybe more in that middle space of kind of looking at the evangelical church and being like eh, it's not the best but it's not the worst and and then others have really stepped out a, a lot more um directly like said i'm gonna step away from this do you still call yourself an evangelical no no, okay. So, but your husband works at a church, right? Or took a position? No, not anymore. He's a he works for a nonprofit. He's a chaplain for a nonprofit. Okay. So that so the church though that he worked with when you guys left Costa Rica, I mean, was that a sort of Even. evangelical church? So that there's still an evolving mm-hmm. kind of coming out of. of mm-hmm. Why don't you call yourself evangelical? Anymore? Is it is the label too? Because you still seem to take the Bible very seriously. You still mm-hmm. seem like you think it's good that people know about Jesus. Is it because of the political and cultural sort of connotations, the, the sort of conservatism with gender mm-hmm. and other issues, and, and for sure, like that? yeah. And I think that evangelicalism, I think it's a it's a theology, and I just disagree with it. <laughs> like the way that evangelicals, um, the way that they treat other people, the way that they pursue the world, the way that they interact with the world, I just don't find a lot of value there. I don't find a lot of Christ likeness there, and um, I don't want to be associated with it. But I'm a Christian. And I'm not like going to give up that. So I just, I'm, I just try to say, well, I'm just not evangelical. And what do you, do you identify as a certain way? I mean, is there a tradition you found that has filled the gap, so to speak? Um, not, not particularly. Like, there's nothing. I don't think any one of us is really getting it all right. You know, I really lean toward um, the Episcopalians. I, I really kind of love their whole bent. And so I think if like if, if I had to choose, if someone was like. Choose or die. I would. I would become Episcopalian. <laughs> That's good to know. I mean, if you know, mm-hmm. if that ever happens, you're like, all right, I got yeah. my answer. Yes, I mean, exactly. So, so eventually, you wind up like 
go, you and your husband, it's this weird thing. You both decide to become missionaries. You go like and do, do some travel. Mm-hmm. You, you, I think are connected with some kind of mission mm-hmm. and endeavor. Yeah. And then you decide, okay, we're going to be missionaries, right? Mm-hmm. Like on our way home from a 10 day trip to the tropics where we did all these cool things and it was easy and fun and, like on our way home, we were like, you know what? We should do that. <laughs> we should become missionaries. And then we felt like it was this like sign from the Holy Spirit that we we agreed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. If we both agree on something, right. it's good. like I right. always say, like if Nietzsche and Augustine agree on anything, it must be true. So this right. is like right. if, if you and your husband agree, it must be true. This is it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you go and you're, there's this great like story you tell that you're, it's not going great, right? I mean, it, and it's kind of this place where it's actually, it's funny because it sounds like it was the place where you were missionized in, in many ways, where you were sort of, where the faith was brought to you in new ways, as opposed to you bringing the faith to everybody. But you tell the story that there's like a, a lizard when you're trying to mm-hmm. urinate mm-hmm. and <laughs> and you tell the story and some, and some woman actually like pulls funding. Like I mean, you, you start yeah. this blog and you're writing about, you know, the, I'm the worst missionary. And this one like, pulls her funding and tells mm-hmm. you like you're a shitty missionary and you know mm-hmm. you, we, we we're not going to support people like you yeah and then, except she would never have used the word shitty never because sin that would be a sin <laughs> you're yeah, a, you're a lousy like, yes you're a reprobate um, exactly heretic apostate <laughs> and then uh, you, this is great i i you said you were at, at, attempted to reply with a humble apology dear mrs eda dick <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your note. If I understand correctly, you read about how I found a live critter mere inches from my vajazzle, and you are upset because I said shitballs. I would like to say I am so very sorry that you have no soul. Peace and love, Jamie, the very worst missionary, which you deleted without sending because you're not actually a mm-hmm. horrible person. I wish you had sent that. I, I thought, mm-hmm. I, like, I was kind of wishing, like, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, in my reality, she sent it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. I mean, there's an old lady. She, she a hundred percent thought she was doing the right thing. You know, like this, this little old lady in here, she's supporting this missionary that is telling stories about finding a gecko in inside. I, it was inside of my pants. Like I had a gecko chilling out in my pants and like freaked out. And it was just like, Jesus, shit balls, Christ, like lost my mind. And so when I wrote about that, you know, I think she just was like, oh, this is not okay. And I know that she genuinely believed that and just in her own world couldn't continue to support it. Um, but I did think it was pretty heartless. Like, did you not read the rest of this? Like, did you, were you not paying attention? There was a reason I said that. And it was because there was literally a gecko two inches from my business. <laughs> like, have a heart, lady. But yeah, whatever. it's not even just an insect. It's a lizard. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, it's I mean, not like I found a ladybug in my pants. I mean, that's not small. Mm-mm. No. I mean, it was, uh, you know, gecko, they're, they're not huge, but and it turns out they're very lightweight. I didn't even know it was there. <laughs> yeah. They can just get right in there and you don't even know. Yeah. I mean, unawares. Like it's little suction cup feet were on me. Like it was on, it was stuck to me. Oh God. <laughs> it was so yeah. I, I, I was freaked out by just reading about that. And, and you know, it's interesting because you write it and this time you go into a depression. You know, like I, I've, I've heard people say that, you know, depre- like we're creatures of the will, right? We desire, you know, so much of us, us is motivated by want and really bad bouts of depression it's it it sounds like it sucked your will to will things mm-hmm. like like to want things like just kind of even things you might enjoy it's just like mm-hmm. the, the will to will sounds like it was just sucked out of you mm-hmm. yeah that's actually a really good way to put it and that is it just feels like it's not even worth it it's not even worth it to get out of bed it's not worth it to get dressed it's not worth it to go outside it just feels like so much um like when you're really in the thick of it, when you're really drowning in depression, it just feels like so much effort to do anything. And there's this voice in your head that's just telling you, like, it's not going to be worth it. Just don't bother. Yeah. So it's very it, isolating. It's interesting because it seems like you found a freedom to embrace that things weren't okay. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, in your previous religious sort of, you know, incarnation, it like, okay, if things get bad, try harder. Mm-hmm. And it'll get better, or at least, at least it'll make me feel like it'll get better because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I'm working the mojo, I'm doing the kind of thing. Uh, but here it seems like you you 
you just, you know, I think I'm thinking of Luther's Heidelberg disputation where he says that, you know, like the contrasting the theology of the cross versus the theology of glory, like the glory story. Hey, onward and upward, it's getting better versus the theology of the cross. You can just say, accept things as they are. Like, look at the naked, humiliated Jesus and say, there's redemption. And it seems like you, you were able to actually be honest about the contours of your own story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I, I have no shame about it. Like this is, this is the path that I've walked. Like, what am I going to, what am I going to do? There's nothing there's, I can't change it. Everything I've ever done in my life. And I think most of us can say this has been done to the best of my capacity at the time. And out of the best places that I could find in myself, like I I didn't make, I've never made any decision where I was like, this will be shitty. Let me do this. Or this will suck for everybody. Let me do this. Or this will let my kids down. So, you know, there is a sense that I do feel okay with being not okay. I do feel like very comfortable in my own skin as far as <clears throat> understanding that I'm I'm flawed and broken and and that's probably not going to go away anytime soon. And so it, it's so much more productive for me to just be like acknowledge that and survive it than to kind of like try to ignore it, pretend it doesn't exist or pretend or try and solve it all the time. Like that's so exhausting. People that are constantly trying to like, solve their their shit like like they're just so it's almost like this self-obsession um with just i'm so broken i'm so wounded what do i do like and and or hiding it um i just i I just i refuse to do that it's too exhausting it's too costly emotionally um and i don't think it helps it doesn't help me it doesn't help the people around me yeah it's interesting because it's almost like it sounds like the kind of spiritual journey on before where Jesus was a means to an end, like a means to the the better identity, but instead of an end in itself, in himself, like where, hey, this is going to not necessarily make fix things, but it's going to be a, a, a sense of presence and acceptance in the midst mm-hmm. of the struggle. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's for me, it, a lot of it just boils down to purpose for being able to say, hey, is there a purpose in this or am I ever going to recognize that there was a purpose in it? And writing this book really helped me um, kind of discover, like putting it all in one space, like writing it all down in <clears throat> in one space and the way it sort of unfolded as a memoir. Um, it really was so cool for me to be able to kind of see the timeline, right? And and just in retrospect, look back and go, look at all the purpose that that has come together in my life to, to bring me to where I'm at today. Um, or to bring me to where I was at the day I landed in the mission field or the day I got married. Like <clears throat> it's very, um, it's, what's the word? It, it, it's peaceful. Like it gives me peace because I just know that whatever I'm going through today, um, it has a purpose. And that's not like to say like God's inflicting terrible things on you. Cause I don't think that, I think that's bullshit, but, but just that our process, everybody's process it matters, right? So the things I'm going through today, whether I like it or not, um, are going to help me become who I am tomorrow or in 10 years or whatever. And hopefully when I'm looking back, I'll be compassionate and understand that I did my best today and um, be okay with who I am in 10 years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because it seems like, you know, you, you started in a place as a child and a teenager where there's tons of ambiguity, Right. Like like you're living in a lot of gray mm-hmm. and then your own religious journey early on as a mother was a lot more. Some of the comfort was a lot more concrete black and white stuff. I mean, the community. Mm-hmm. Like, it's interesting because, I, you know, what I found with Jewish friends is like most of my Jewish friends believing and belonging are so um, are not the same thing. Whereas in conservative evangelicals and believing is belonging. And if mm-hmm. you don't believe the right stuff, they'll tell you, you don't belong anymore. Like we're going to put you on the prayer list and not the good one. Mm-hmm. You know, not the concerned one. Mm-hmm. Like, <clears throat> yeah. so it seems like you had to re- you rediscovered a place for mystery and ambiguity, in a way that um, that's different though than the, the the kind of you know religious and spiritual ambiguity that you kind of grew up with. Right, and it was always there. Like, I it was something that was imparted to me as a young child in Judaism. Was that's who that's the God that I was introduced to? Um, was the God the God that loves our questions and that um, loves our wrestling and honors it. And, and so that never really went away. I mean, I didn't really, as an adolescent, I just didn't care about religion. I didn't care about God. I didn't think about it. And as a um, young adult who was so desperate and needed help and a you know young mom, wife, I, I needed conc- something concrete, right? I needed 
some clear parameters because I felt so out of control and my life felt like so much chaos. And so I leaned in really hard into that space of like, oh, I can follow these rules. And and honestly, it helped me so much because it helped me, um, it helped me just get my head around my own life, right? In the context of following Jesus, I was like, oh, I have these rules. If I do these things, and and truly, a lot of the rules are good. Like a lot of the evangelical, hey, do these things and it will be good for your life. It's not that it's necessarily untrue. It's just why are we doing it is sort of, I think sometimes what we need to ask, but I never lost that, um, that, that part of me that connected with God in a, in a way that was like questioning and, um, conversing. And I think in, I would say very Jewish way, like it was just very like crying out to God and wondering and being, um, inspired and, you know, like just a lot more like back and forth, then here's God, here's the rules, follow the rules and you get God. Um, so, you know, I, I love that I, that I had that Jewish background and I love that that was, that's the God that I've always known. And it didn't go away when I became a Christian. That was, I mean, still God. And that was still the way that really the only way, um, long-term way that I knew how to interact with God. So I'm wondering who are some of the, in your, in your kind of young adult, early twenties religious pilgrimage, who are some of the key thinkers or writers that were your influences and who are the key thinkers, writers that are your key influences now? Um, gosh, as a young adult, I mean, it was like, it was all Beth Moore <laughs> and you know, like, she does a good video Bible. Study. It's like what that John Stewart says about Fox news. They do good television, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, here top of the hour is liberalism mm-hmm. ruining America. Like maybe it is, maybe it isn't like mm-hmm. it's really an open question. Beth Moore does good television. Yeah. And you know what? She's brilliant. She's smart and she's, she knows what she's doing. I think she's um, a fantastic communicator and I learned a ton of shit from her. <laughs> a ton. Um, and so, you know, yeah, Beth Moore was like a big part of it. And that whole, that whole like women of faith deal. Like I did that. The I showed up. Steel, the oh, music, yeah. And the, oh yeah. And everybody goes together and you're, uh-huh. in the, you're in the sport utility vehicle. You get your yeah. lattes and you go. Oh yeah. All that, like crying in a in an arena with twenty five thousand women singing like a choir of angels, like it just I did all of that, and um yeah, and then I and I think over the years, then it was um there was like this the the Donald Miller phase, and and Rob Bell was a huge influence in kind of helping me um or giving me permission to just say hey I can look at this another way, um myself and you know a million other people um who else and then and then now you know I just. I have an amazing group of, of friends who happen to be writers. I mean, I'm not, we just have sort of connected and I would say um, more than their writing influences me, they, they are my Christian influence and they just happen to be these, you know, brilliant men and women um, that I'm fortunate enough to, to, to get to um, interact with on a regular basis. It almost sounds like a religious order. Like we have these people that have the same care, you know, have the same kind of gift and sense of identity and calling and you kind of befriend each other and, it's it definitely, I think there's, it's a bit of a club. I mean, and I, and I think a lot of religious orders are, um, but aren't we all drawn to kind of people whose lives we, you know, our lives look the same in a lot of ways and are unique. We're writers and we're online. We have like online platforms and presences and we deal with a lot of the same issues. So naturally, you know, you come together on that way, on that very like basic level and then um, connect on a more chemistry level with, with certain people. And you just, yeah. So I've sort of had the, a small group of really close friends filter out from that and they um, just give me life and they remind me who Jesus is all the time. It's funny. I spent like two weeks in a retreat, like a personal retreat, the Norbertines, a religious order. And I thought they were such great people, but they wore white robes. And I'm like, that was like their, their habit with like their, I thought, guys, this isn't slimming. Like, right. I, mean, like if I was going to join a religious order. I would ding that just because I'm like, guys. You're wearing white robes. You, right. you, you can't look trim in these white robes ever. It doesn't matter how much you work out, how clean right. you eat. It's just not slimming. You're just a big white block. Like go with navy. Go with charcoal, navy, black, black charcoal. Yeah, it's slimming. I mean, with a little we, cincher at the waist. Right. I mean, that, can, it's, right. It's like, that, that takes pounds off. Yeah. They, you know, these people, they just don't think of these things. They need you to like show back up with like some maybe some fashion ideas. You're as you you know you're as someone who's like has a changed relationship with this sort of evangelical wing of the church. That, I mean, again, it sounds like you have a critical appreciation for some things it gave you, but you know you also have some critical feedback and things. Like when Donald Trump got elected, were you just like, "What the hell's going on?" I mean, like 
I'm still like, what the hell is going on? Like, I cannot even get my head around it. It's been a long time. And I still like wake up in the morning. and I'm like, is this real? How is this real? How I, I find it appalling and horrifying and like mind blowing. I, I seriously can't get my head around it. You know, and I'm sure like, because of the segment of the church, you, you used to be very connected. I'm sure you have friends that voted and continue to support Donald Trump. Don't we all? We we all do. That's the thing. We all do. That's because it took that many people to do it. And the Stormy Daniels thing and everything. There's still a lot of them are still with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't. I cannot begin to explain it. I can't begin to understand it. I mean, okay, that's not true. I can kind of understand it. Um, because I think that the evangelical church is incredibly fearful and that their gospel is fear based. And and if you're afraid and you think that terrorists are going to blow up your family and that the government's going to take your guns and your money, you know, then you're going to make dumb decisions and you're going to make these fear-based decisions. And I, I cannot, I cannot imagine another reason that we have Donald Trump as a president. Um, but I do understand it. Like I, I, when I, when I think about my truly evangelical, the people in my life that are truly evangelical or truly conservative even, even, cause I know conservatives who are not religious at all, um, who are all on board with Trump. Um, but, but I just get it. They're afraid. Yeah. And I also, I, do you think that there's something about the fact that he, you know, that, that, that liberals do have sort of more of an influence in sort of like public media, media and things like that. And so the fact that this guy, even though he's not really one of them will sort of fight the political correctness. Like this is our guy. Finally, we got somebody that's scrapping for us. Uh, like the conservatives. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, for sure. I totally think there that there are a lot of like, well, I think there's a lot of like racist, homophobic a holes out there. They're like, here's somebody who's finally saying, you know, saying it like it is, and telling it like to totally feel like that Trump is on their team and um, represents them. And yeah, I think that's definitely a thing. As someone who's very, you know, again, one of the things that you conclude beautifully in the in the memoir about, like, hey, we're on a journey. You do your best. You know, you don't like, you, you know, it's. Uh, it's more about the journey than the destination is sort of the, the, the kind of undertone I picked up there. I mean, what, what are the biggest sort of spiritual, theological, existential issues that you struggle with right now? Like, what are the, what are the things that are most, you know, part of your journey right now? Um, that I struggle with. And it could I... be intellectual, personal, whatever. I mean, things, things that are sort of the open-ended messes, like things that are messy mm-hmm. or messy or things that mm-hmm. cause you to sort of you know, scratch your head and be like, I don't know how to make sense of this. Uh, there's so many, honestly, so many things that I'm struggling to really get my head around or understand what my, what my role is. And they're, I think mostly justice related, you know, like the whole idea of being an ally and getting that wrong is really scary to me. I really struggle with, um, you know, wanting to be on the side of justice, but not wanting to like do it wrong because it's really, I mean, liberals, like liberalism can be really scary. And, um, you know, even when we're genuinely trying our best, it's so easy to get it wrong or to be perceived as, you know, whatever. Paternalistic or patronizing. Yeah. Yeah. Or not on the, you know, just whatever. There's so much language around it all. And so it can be really paralyzing. Like, I don't want to do, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to do anything at all because I don't want to be the next, you know, next year's like Christian meme that people are all making fun of. Um, and so for me, it's, yeah, I struggle with um, the, the sense of duty, right? Like I absolutely feel called into into the into issues of like race and sexuality and um, <clears throat> justice and mercy and all of these things, um, slavery, all of it. But I I want to get it right, and because I've done it wrong in the past, and it's so embarrassing. You know, it's so embarrassing to just be like, oh my god, I said all those things, I did all those things, and I know that feeling and I don't want to have that feeling again, it can be really paralyzing. Um, but at some point, like, so my struggle is like just kind of forcing myself to just do it, right. To just do it, to just know that I'm not going to get it right. And that's okay. And that it will still have purpose. Um, and that the, the idea would be to be introspective enough, um, and like honest enough and see, and, and constantly like seeking more information and more um, education or whatever, so that I'm not, I don't continue to do it wrong. Right. So that it's an evolution rather than one fuck up and then I'm done. Yeah. And I guess you need a sense of grace, especially for yourself to have that perspective, right? Because Mm -hmm. if you don't have a sense of acceptance, then you'll be afraid to fail. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's so much pressure to not fail the people around me because I don't, I don't feel like I can fail God. Like as long as I'm getting up in the morning and, and, you know, doing my whatever best at my, at my life, I I don't feel like I'm going to fail God, but I definitely struggle with that, that idea of like failing the people around me, failing the people in the world. Um, and, and especially failing publicly, like fucking embarrassing. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say the Christian meme thing, because that is a thing, right? Like somebody, mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting because we might be a more permissive culture now, but we're we're certainly less forgiving. So and, brutal. And, and it, it's just, it is like, the, it's like the Game of Thrones. Shame, shame. It's the shame walk. I mean, mm-hmm. that, and then everybody's got to be shamed and banned and the virtue mm-hmm. signaling. I mean, that is, especially as someone who's, become an increasingly public person, right? That you've, mm-hmm. that your life is not all your own. I mean, your experiences, you write about your own personal experiences and your own convictions and, and vision for human flourishing. I mean, that really, the risk is that you become, uh, you're treated like an object, not a subject, right? Right, right. And the risk is then that you are constantly like capitulating to the perspectives of the people around you instead of like sharing your actual growth journey which is more helpful because everybody is, we're all looking for people that are kind of trying to grow. And so, you know, when, when the only people showing up are the ones that, that have it all figured out, um, it's, it's just even more intimidating to get out there and say, Hey, this is, you know, this is what I'm thinking or whatever. Well, Jamie, you make no claims in your book to have everything figured out, but you do give a really authentic picture of what it looks like to be on a journey of trying to figure things out and and accept yourself in the process. So um, thanks for talking with me and thanks for writing the book, The Very Worst Missionary, a memoir or whatever. It's, um, mm-hmm. it's a great book and uh, I've really enjoyed talking. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Give and Take. If you liked what you heard, please do a couple things for me. They are so helpful if you do them. Share this interview on social media or via email or tag someone in a tweet or something and say, hey, this is great. Check it out. Spread the love and goodness if you found it here. Also, if you could go, please, 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 it takes like 60 seconds. Go to iTunes and write a review and give give a rating to the podcast. It really, really helps, especially as things are getting off the ground. And if you want to consider becoming a Patreon sponsor, you can just go right to the link on the podcast page, giveandtake.fireside.fm. You can find all the information there. Thanks to Jamie for coming on the podcast. Please do check out her book, The Very Worst Missionary, a memoir or whatever. And thanks again to you for listening to Give and Take. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.